0: Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Tuttle podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are so glad you're here. Each week on our podcast, you'll hear messages from our pastor, Brother Marty Williams. If you'd like to join us for worship, we meet every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central in Tuttle, Oklahoma and online at fbctuttle.net. Now let's get started. Good morning. Well, you guys are a good looking group. I don't mean to sound so surprised. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's good to be here this morning. I don't really like the occasion. I'd much rather the pastor be off on vacation having a good time somewhere. But uh, it is what it is. We'll pray for him and we'll ask that he'll be able to return to you Sunday and and, uh, be able to resume the things that he loves to do. But he gave me the opportunity to come and preach this morning, and we're going to do that as we turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to read a familiar story, but I pray that as we read this familiar story, that in the same way that the Lord breathed into me some, some new ideas and some new ways of looking at this story, perhaps he will breathe those new ideas and new ways of looking at this story into you. Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead." Likewise, now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whoever more, whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for your word for many reasons. But one of the reasons that I am grateful for your word is that it is timeless. It seems to be that even though this book was written long ago, it still has a message for us. And I pray, Father, that even though this message and and Jesus was in that region that we call the Bible lands when he told this story, I pray that we would recognize this morning that this story reaches all the way from the Bible lands all the way to Tuttle, Oklahoma. And that the message that you have for them, you have for us. So I pray, Lord, that we might learn that message and apply that message to our life and living. This we ask in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. You know, a few years back, I was a pastor up at First Baptist Church in Woodward. And while I was pastor up at Woodward, we ran our car into the ground and needed to buy a new car. Well, I couldn't afford a new car, but I could afford a used car. And so we agreed on a price for a car in Oklahoma City. And one day, uh, one of my staff members was heading to Oklahoma City. So me and my son jumped in the car with him and we drove and I signed the paperwork on that car and we jumped in that car and we drove to Norman, Oklahoma to watch the Woodward Boomer girls play in the regional basketball one of the state, making their way to state tournament. We went and watched the Boomer girls play basketball and after the game was over we jumped back in that car and I was just north of Gary headed home, you know, had my crew set on 55 miles an hour, was in no hurry, was just taking life, enjoying, you know, my opportunity to visit with my son a little bit. When all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everything went totally black. Well, it was probably brown. It was just totally brown in an instant. They were building two lanes of road over on the other side. It was storming. Maybe one of those little dust devils kicked up some dirt. I don't know. But all of a sudden, my car went totally black. I slam on my brakes or I tried to slam on my brakes and about the time I about got it under control I noticed a car that I didn't know was there what was, that was in front of me had stopped right in the middle of the road Now I had I had a choice to make I could rear in that car I could go over into the bar ditch but I didn't really want to go over in the bar ditch cuz I didn't know what was over there or I could take my chances and go around to the left and maybe miss it all altogether. Well, I took the last choice, but it ended up being the wrong choice because a car coming the other way hit me and drove me into the car that was parked. So in, instead of wrecking one car, I wrecked three cars in about what seconds. Well, here's the reason for this story. I'm standing over in the bar ditch talking with the law enforcement and I notice that all my church members are driving by, leaving the ball game. They too are headed home and they were driving by and no one was stopping to help me. No one was stopping to make sure I had a ride home. They didn't know my new car, they'd never seen my new car, so they just drove on by. Well, I tell you what, finally the Christian pastor, he stopped, picked me up, and took me home. Well, next Sunday, guess what passage I preached on? (laughs) You know what I preached on? I preached on this one. You know what the point of the sermon was? The point of the sermon was this. Listen, if you ever see that your pastor's in the bar ditch, don't leave him there. If you see him in the bar ditch, you stop and you help. In this familiar text, we find a lawyer, not like a lawyer today who pleads cases before the judge, but a lawyer in the sense that he was an expert in Old Testament law. He was well-versed in the law of Moses. We read in our text a moment ago that he asked Jesus two questions. Now, they're not trivial questions. They are important questions. I'm convinced that this nation that we live in would be a completely different nation if the people that make up this nation would ask and answer those two questions. We would live in a completely different nation if we would take these questions seriously. They are important questions. And this lawyer stands to ask Jesus this question. I'm not so sure that his motives were pure because the scripture said that he was testing Jesus. But he came and he asked Jesus these questions. He wanted to see if Jesus could also dispute the law in which he and his buddies would also dispute the law. And so he asked Jesus this spiritual question. Some might call it a theological question. He asked him that first question, one that we know pretty well. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? I told you this is not a trivial question. This is an important question and it's important enough for you to find the answer to it. So I would ask you, do you know the answer to the question? If someone were to come up and ask you, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Could you answer the question? it's important enough for you to find the answer and to know the answer this this question has eternal consequences this this question has eternal consequences in the sense that wherever you spend your eternity depends on how you answer that question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now we preachers throughout the years and I've probably been guilty myself, we preachers throughout the years There have been those that have criticized the man for his question. They say it was asked improperly. It was asked the wrong way. And when we preachers beat up on him a little bit, we we center in on two words. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we preach and we get on him a little bit because we We think, well, maybe he's in the back of his mind thinking that he in some way could earn his own salvation, that he in some way could find his way to heaven on his own. I don't know the motive for the man's question, but there is something I do want to say about it. And rather than beat him up, I think there's something that we need to emphasize about it. You see, there is a difference. There's a difference in believing you can earn your way to heaven by your good works and understand that there is a role that we play in our own salvation now I want to repeat that sentence one more time there's a difference between believing you can earn your way to salvation on your own and understanding that there's a role that we play in our own salvation that is this our role is to understand that we are sinners incapable of saving ourselves Our role is to understand we must repent and turn from our sin and turn to Christ for forgiveness. Our role is to understand we must accept by faith the gracious free gift of salvation offered by Christ. There's not anything I can do to earn my salvation. There's not anything I can do to merit my salvation, but there there must be a time where I accept by faith the wondrous gift of salvation because there must be a time where his gift Becomes my gift. There's a role that we play. How does Jesus respond to his question? Well, Jesus responds to his question with a question of his own. Jesus responds, Well, what's written in the law? What's written in the law? What's your reading of it? You're an expert in the law. What does it say? And as we read a moment ago, the lawyer quotes passages from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and quotes a passage from Leviticus chapter 19. The two passages summarize the duty of man to God and to his fellow man. As we read in the original language, once he quotes those passages, Jesus responds to him with an imperative. Do this. Do this, and you will live. I think that Jesus responded the way he did for this simple reason. The lawyer, once he had quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, and once he had quoted Leviticus chapter 19, after he had quoted those two Old Testament passages, that lawyer should have stopped should have stopped and he should have knelt before Jesus and he should have said master I know what the Old Testament law says I am an expert in it but there's no way I could ever do it there's no way I could ever fulfill it realize that the passages that this man quoted are a good guide for those of us who are believers to guide our life and give direction to our life, a goal for us to strive for. But we need to understand that there is no way we could ever attain it if we had to attain it to become a Christian. Once we become a Christian, this is a goal for us to strive for, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's a goal for us. But there's no way we could ever attain it in order to become a Christian. That lawyer should have stopped. He should have gotten on his knees before Jesus and said, Jesus, I know what the law says, but I can't do it. Where do I go now? Where do I go to find salvation now? Where do I go to find life now? And I think our master in his own way Would have presented to him the gospel and the truth of the gospel so that the man could have understood that the Old Testament law was pointing. Because as we read our story, instead of trusting Jesus, he tries to best him because he comes with a second question. And that's what you find in verse 29 of our text. He comes with his second question. His second question is, well, who is my neighbor? Notice, he doesn't even attempt to try to tackle loving God in the right way. He just bypasses all that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He goes, no, I'm not going to even try to tackle loving God in the right way. No, he jumps over that to see if he can get Jesus mired into a popular debate of the time. For there were those who would argue about who must be counted as my neighbor. What are the limits of accepting someone as my neighbor? And in response to the second question, Jesus sidesteps the popular debate and he tells a story. We call it a parable. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. This, this parable is Jesus' commentary on the Old Testament truth of loving your neighbor as yourself. If you were reading along in the book of Leviticus and you came to 19 and you were reading that you need to love your neighbor as yourself and you were wondering what Jesus would have to say about Leviticus 19, loving your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says, this is what, this is my commentary on Leviticus 19. This is my commentary on loving your neighbor as yourself. What, you do, what we do realize as we read his story, that parable that we call the Good Samaritan, as we read his story, what we realize is that Jesus doesn't really answer his question. And who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't really answer that question. He doesn't say the priest is your neighbor, but the man in the ditch is not. He doesn't say the Levite is your neighbor, but no way, in no way, is the Samaritan ever to be your neighbor. No, Jesus doesn't really answer the question. What we discover is, by telling the story, by telling the parable, Jesus broadens the question. He broadens the question. He it from who is my neighbor to what kind of neighbor am i he broadens the question from who who is my neighbor as a person that is close to me in proximity that is close to me in religious experience that's close to me in social standing to a person that is to any person that is in need he he broadens the question to what He broadens the question from what kind of who is my neighbor to what kind of neighbor am I? And he broadens the question from someone being just like me to finding someone who is in need. He broadens it from a religious person setting in judgment. Of whether a person is religious, uh, whether a person qualifies to be his neighbor, to being a person who is in trouble in a ditch, who would gladly accept help from anyone who might show up. What Jesus would say is this when you are the person that's in the ditch, like I was that night north of Gary, I would have accepted help from just about anybody that would have stopped. I would have accepted help from just about anybody that would have stopped. Jesus says, when you realize that you are the person that's in the ditch and you too have need, anybody that you would accept help from would be the same person you should be willing to give help to. Reminds me of that lady that's at work and she gets a phone call and her infant son or young boy is ill with a high temperature, the babysitter had called, so the little boy needed some medicine. She runs by the pharmacy to get him some medicine. Only to come out and find out that she's locked her keys in her car. And she starts crying because she locks her keys in her car. The little boy needs the medicine. So she starts crying. But then she starts praying. And about the time she finishes her prayer, this guy rides up on his motorcycle. This big hog. He's got a, he's got, he's got a leather coat on, leather pants. He's got boots. He's got this, he's got the leather belt, he's got the handkerchief, he's got the tattoos up both of his arms, and she walks over to him and says, listen, can you tell me, and tells him the story, can you help me? And he reaches over and grabs into one of his saddlebags, grabs a piece of wire, walks over there and just unlocks her car. She said, you're a good man, where'd you learn to do that? And he goes, ma'am, I'm not necessarily a good man, I just got out of prison for stealing cars. She runs up and gives him a good hug and she says, well, listen, I didn't realize that when I was praying for somebody to come and help me, that God would send a professional. (laughs) (laughs) The point is this. When we are in trouble, we are far less picky about who is our neighbor. We're far less picky about who is our neighbor. This should also be true. When we're considering who we are to be a neighbor to. Who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't really answer the question. He broadens it. Well, what we just understand is if Jesus wanted to, when the lawyer asked his second question, Jesus could have turned away and walked away from the lawyer, leaving him in his pride and leaving his question unanswered. But no, our Savior shows him mercy. By telling him a story and we know the story pretty well the good Samaritan we know it a certain man is the way Jesus starts his story we don't know whether that man is a Jew we don't know if that man is a Gentile but when it comes to Jesus telling the story Jesus seems to say it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if the man's a Jew it doesn't matter if the man's a Gentile it doesn't matter any person in need is your neighbor And as as he traveled, he was caught by thieves, and as we read in our text, they attacked him, they stripped him, they beat him, and they left him for dead. Have you ever asked why they stripped him? I'm sure clothes were a commodity back then, but why did they strip him? I think part of the answer is, is they stripped him of his identity. When you walked up to him laying in a ditch, you didn't know if he was a Jew or a Gentile. You didn't know if he was rich or poor. You didn't know if he was slave or free. You didn't know. But again, to Jesus, it doesn't matter. If we find a person in need, we are, and within our abilities and capabilities, we are to reach out and try to help someone else. Well, as Jesus continues to tell the story, it seems like a struck of luck comes his way because the priest comes by, and you just know the priest is going to help, but nah. He takes a look at it and walks by on the other side of the road, makes a conscious decision to avoid the situation altogether. You think, well, maybe his luck has turned a little bit. the Levite comes by, same thing. He takes a look at the situation, and he makes a conscious decision to leave as well. Now, we can beat up on the priest, and we can beat up on the Levite if we want to, but before we beat up on the priest, and we beat up on the Levite, we need to make sure that we're not condemning ourselves, because has there not been times when it's been easier not to become involved in situations that we've faced or encountered? Hadn't there been times when we've left it to someone else to do something that we know in our heart of hearts that we should have done ourselves? Hadn't there been times when we have encountered situations and rather than handling it ourselves, we called the church and said, Hey church, hey pastor, hey staff, won't you pick up the mantle and won't you make sure this gets done? Jesus brought you into the situation. Jesus brought me into the situation so that I might be the one that would be a blessing to somebody else. And before we're too hard on the priest and the Levite, we need to make sure we're not condemning ourselves. But as we read this story, the story takes a major shift. Jesus introduces the hero. Now it's difficult in our time to produce the shock that Jesus brought to the story in the first century. For when Jesus stated that the hero was the Samaritan, the people in the crowd would have yelled back at him, no, no, no way. No way that, no way that that Samaritan could be the hero. It's difficult to reduplicate that in our own day. But you might make Joe Biden the hero of the story, and some of us might go, no, no way. Or some of us might. If we made Donald Trump the story, the hero of the story, some of you might go, no, no, no way. It's difficult to replicate it. But you get the point. Jesus says the Samaritan is the hero. And as we read, this certain Samaritan, I feel with no logical reason why, rearranges his own plans, bandages the man's wounds, spends his money to help his despised enemy with no logical reason why he exerts himself, has compassion on him, and blesses him. For no really really reason why, but what we learn from reading this story is Mercy doesn't need reasons. Can I say that one more time? Sure, you can, preacher. Just as long as you're done in about five minutes. For no reason why that we know of, because the Samaritan, I would assume, has never met this man, doesn't know how he got into the trouble that he gotten into. He never stops to ask whether this man is worthy to be his neighbor. He just understands that he needs to be a neighbor to him. He never really has a reason why, but mercy doesn't need reasons. Mercy needs opportunities what we discover from reading this story that the thieves saw this man as a victim to exploit what we find from reading this story is that the religious men saw him as a nuisance to be avoided but what we see from the samaritan is that he's a neighbor to love and to help mercy doesn't need reasons mercy needs opportunities so jesus tells his story his parable And he ends it with the question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Verse 37, the man responds, he who showed mercy on him. And then the second time in this story, Jesus gives the second imperative of this story when he says, go and do likewise. Be a people of mercy. And when he does when he does that, when he says, Go and do likewise, he 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 needs we need to understand that this still reverberates even to the moment in which we live that it reaches from the biblical times to our own time it reaches from the city of Jerusalem reaches all the way to the city of Tuttle when Jesus says go and do likewise he's saying to you and me who are Christ's followers go and do likewise I'd like to close with this thought Who? is our neighbor Jesus doesn't really answer the question he broadens the question but his answer seems to be any person who is in need that's in front of me when I meet someone in need I have a choice to make I can step to them and bless them or i can step around them and discount them but either way it doesn't change the fact that that person was supposed to be my neighbor regardless of the decision that i make that person is still to be my neighbor it seems to be that In Jesus' mind, the correct answer is not who is my neighbor. The more pressing question is, what kind of neighbor have I been? What kind of neighbor am I? Do I act neighborly to those that I meet? Now, I believe, and you may agree or disagree with me, but I believe that my Lord brings people into my life, that brings people into my life who need to know what mercy looks like. They know what judgment looks like. They know what condemnation looks like. But God brings people into our life so that they might be able to learn what mercy looks like. And we need to be the person that reminds them of what mercy looks like. There are times when we need to ask ourselves, if I was in a ditch to a point of desperation, would I accept ac- assistance from this person? If the answer is yes, then we need to be willing to give assistance to that person. If COVID-19 hasn't taught us anything, it's taught us this. It's easy for us to only think about ourselves. It's easy to only think about ourselves, to make sure I don't get it and mine don't get it. And if they have it in some way, I need to take care of me and mine. It's very easy for us to think of ourselves. What this parable tells me is, That is not to be the goal of every Christian. The goal of every Christian should be to walk in such a way that your ears are open, that your eyes are open, and you're always on a constant lookout who it is that the Lord may bring into your life so that they might see what mercy looks like. Maybe it is during this season that we can take a moment and say, Lord, as I think about the last several weeks, as I think about the last couple months, I can think of people you've brought into my life and I didn't take the time to show them what mercy looks like. Maybe during this moment we could say, Lord, could you give me another chance? (laughs) Maybe if it's not with that particular individual, can you bring other people into my life so that I might show them? What mercy looks like I'm willing and I'm able who is it that the Lord has brought into your life that Jesus wants you to be a good neighbor would you bow your heads with me for just a moment I'm gonna invite the pianist to come up we're just gonna take a moment And rather than people coming down this morning, we're just going to have a moment where you can circle yourself, draw a circle around yourself. I told you that this is an old story that we've probably heard a lot of times, but maybe the Lord showed you something new and different from this story than what you've seen before. And maybe it's spoken to you in a way that it's never spoken to you before. The lost world knows what judgment looks like. The lost world knows what condemnation looks like. Jesus has placed us in this world, saved us, redeemed us, and equipped us so that we can show people what mercy looks like. Could you take a moment and say, Lord, I I recognize that you've been bringing, and you might even be able to name a name. I notice that you've been bringing them into my life lately. I could see that they are a person in which I need to be a good neighbor to. I could see that they could be a person that needs to know what mercy looks like. Will you help me be that person? Will you help me be that Christian that shows them what mercy looks like? it could be that you could just say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do in the future. I don't know who you're going to bring into my life in the future, but Lord, I pray that my heart will be softer and my mind will be more attuned, that when you bring people into my life that I would not evaluate them to whether they should be acceptable or not, but Lord, I would just simply say if they are a person that needs a good neighbor, I'm here. If they are a person that needs to know what mercy looks like, I'm available. Father, we sang in the worship service about your cross. We heard a special about you being broken and poured out on our behalf. Lord, I pray that when it comes to evaluating whether a person is our neighbor or not, it's not a matter of their personal qualifications, but it becomes a matter of my personal obedience. I know this world knows what condemnation and judgment looks like. You've placed us here so that they might see what mercy looks like. And may we be a people that reveal, reflect, show mercy. For Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has told us in this little story to go and do likewise. May we truly be a reflection of the mercy that we've received from you thank you for your love and gift we ask these things in Jesus name Amen. hey friends before you go if you have a prayer request we invite you to send us an email at prayforyou@att.net that's p r a y the number 4 y o u at att.net or call the church office at 405-381-2492. If you'd like to learn more about our children's, youth, men's, women's, or senior adult ministries, visit our website at fbctettle.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We love you, and we hope you have a blessed week.